Well, good afternoon. Uh, we're starting a new series in the book of Proverbs. It's pretty exciting. Uh, Proverbs is about wisdom. You probably know that. So I wonder what is the worst advice that you've ever been given? What's the worst advice you've ever been given? Uh, you might know Jimmy Fallon on The Tonight Show. He actually uh, asked his Twitter followers to hashtag bad advice or bad advice. And uh, these are some of the worst advice that his followers on Twitter came up with. Have a look here. This is working. It's not working. Oh, here we go. My dad told me the broken escalator was voice activated. I spent 10 minutes yelling, go up, before he told me it was broken. Hashtag bad advice. How about this one? I put bacon on a pimple because my granny said it'd go away. It grew. <laughs> my first time eating sushi, my good friend told me to take that green stuff and spread it all over it because it'd taste better. Come on, you've done that to, to people before. I, I have. Okay, next one. When I was little, I was raining. It was raining, and my dad told me if you run really fast, you can dodge all the raindrops. I believed him. And look at this next one. My mom used to tell me that I needed to put deodorant on, not only my armpits, but my leg pits as well. Thanks, mom. Okay. You probably won't get much wisdom out of those ones, right? They're bad advice. But what about the advice that people do take seriously? So you might have looked up inspirational memes. People actually believe these ones. Look at the next one. Life only comes around once, so do whatever makes you happy and be with whoever makes you smile. Well, what do you think of that? What happened to the next one? Be yourself. Trust yourself. Love yourself. And what about this one? If you like The Office... Michael's best advice, don't listen to your critics, listen to your fans. What do you think of those? Do they sound wise to you? Yeah, a lot of people take them seriously. But I wonder what would happen if you did live by them. I mean, just let's go back to do what makes you happy or be yourself. I mean, I know where they're coming from, but let's admit it. Arguably, Hitler did what made him happy and he was just being himself. So if you live by those... Doesn't it just become an excuse to be selfish? Or what about only listen to your fans and never listen to your critics? But if you do that, how do you ever improve? How will you ever change? You see, as inspirational as these memes are, and we actually realize wisdom is not so easy to come by, is it? Just seeing a few inspirational memes won't do. So where, where do we find wisdom? To live a good life, a flourishing life, a successful life. Because maybe you're here and you know you've got some important decisions coming up in life. Whether it's school or university or career-related decisions, or maybe it's relationship decisions, marriage, engagements, desiring a relationship, breaking up from a relationship, or maybe it's financial decisions. Whatever these decisions are, you need wisdom, don't you? Or maybe for you, it's not the big decisions in life, but if you're honest with yourself and as you look at your whole life, or maybe just areas of your life, you'll realize you're not coping that well. Maybe for you, relationships are actually a mess. Conflict, tension, coldness in marriage. Maybe financially, you're actually in a bit of strife, a lot of strife. Maybe you're in, in serious debt. You don't know how to pay off those credit cards now. 
Maybe it's addictions that you're caught up in. Or the consequences of, of, of bad choices you made a while ago, you still can't shake off. And you're living with regret, you're living with guilt. Maybe for life right now, you just don't know what the purpose is, where, where, where your aim is, what you should be going for. You're anxious, you're worried, you can't sleep, you're overwhelmed, you're fearful. Well, if that's you, you also need wisdom, don't you? Now, the book of Proverbs is going to give us what we need. No matter who you are, whether it's decisions coming up or life is just a bit cloudy, a bit difficult, we all need wisdom from God, wisdom for our lives. Now, we're going to spend the next six weeks in Proverbs. I wish we had more time. It's a great book. Today is really just the introduction. Right? It's the teaser. It's the entree. It's set the scene for you. But I will give you a preview of what's coming for the rest of our time in Proverbs, and that is wisdom is available and it is so helpful, and it is what you need. But you've got to be prepared to work hard, okay? It's not going to come easily. So I hope you're ready today to listen, uh, to anticipate, and to pay attention to what God has to say. Let me pray, and then let's get into it. Father God, we pray that um, at this time in the afternoon, when maybe we're a little bit cold and tired, that you would wake us up, because we know that we need wisdom for life. Those of us who are your followers, we want to live lives that please you, and that bring glory to you. So give us the wisdom through your word today in Proverbs. Amen. A very simple outline, what, who, why, where, how. Okay, what, who, why, where, and how. If you want to take notes, follow. It's in the bulletins you got when you came in. Firstly, what is wisdom? Uh, Let's go to verse 1. Keep your Bibles open because we will be looking at various parts of Proverbs. We won't just be looking at the seven verses we read out. But look at verse 1. introduces the book for us, doesn't it? The Proverbs of Solomon... Son of David, King of Israel, for gaining wisdom and instruction, for understanding words of insight. All right, we've got to hear the Proverbs. This is a book, and it's written by or compiled by King Solomon. King Solomon is a famous wise king. You might have heard the story of how he could have asked God for anything. He asked for wisdom instead. He's the son of David, at the high point of Israel's history. And he writes this book for the purpose, it says, of gaining wisdom. Now, what is wisdom? What is wisdom according to the Bible? Well, at various parts in the Bible, especially in the Old Testament, in the first 39 books of the Bible, wisdom is something that God gives to people with a job, particularly artisans, builders, craftsmen. He gives them wisdom uh, in the Old Testament to build a tabernacle, to build a temple. That's very much what wisdom is about. He also gives wisdom to those in leadership, to those in government. So kings need wisdom, judges need wisdom, so that they can do what's right. So what's wisdom then? Wisdom, according to the Bible, is knowledge applied to life. You got that? Knowledge applied to life. It's practical understanding, which means wisdom is different to intelligence, yeah? A wise person is not necessarily an intelligent person, and certainly an intelligent person is not necessarily wise, because there is difference to knowing stuff versus applying that knowledge to life. I'll give you an example. When I was in year 12, I was one of those Asian kids that did four-unit maths or extension two maths. Um, I was okay at maths. I was pretty good at it, actually. I also did physics, and I was terrible at physics. See, I was good at the math stuff. I just couldn't apply the math stuff to anything useful. Right? 
Wisdom is not just for you in maths. Wisdom is being able to apply maths to physics and engineering and problem solving and life. That's wisdom. Lots of really smart and knowledgeable people are very unwise because wisdom is applied knowledge, which leads to successful living. And here's the other thing about wisdom. You may have wisdom in one part of your life. For example, you're an architect and you can apply the wisdom of your learning at university to design wonderful buildings that functional and work. But you could be very unwise when it actually comes to your life, okay? So just because you have wisdom in one area of your life doesn't mean that you have wisdom in all areas of your life. What we're really interested in is wisdom for the whole of life so that your life itself flourishes and it's successful. Now, with wisdom comes insight, right? Verse 2 says, for understanding words of insight. Actually, in the original, the Hebrew, which uh, is where we get our English translations from, that word understanding is the verbal form of the noun insight. So, you know, it's actually saying it twice for having insight into words of insight sort of thing. Yeah? So what is that insight word? Because it's so important. Well, insight means to be able to see, to be able to discern, to be able to see what others don't see necessarily, but you can see it, and because you can see it, you can navigate situations and navigate life successfully. And that's why it goes hand in glove with wisdom. Wisdom will give you insight. Steve Jobs, the founder of Apple, the late Steve Jobs, he, when it came to tech, had insight like no other. Right? If you know the story of Steve Jobs, he didn't just make products that people thought they needed. I mean, anyone can do that. He had the insight to see what people needed before they knew what they needed. Do you know what I mean? He designed products that actually revealed that people needed it, even though they didn't know they needed it at the time. Whether it was the iPod um, or, you know, a touch phone, right? That was insight. That's insight. Now, unfortunately, Steve Jobs didn't have much insight in his personal life. He lived a life that was terribly unwise, and you can read about it. It's actually pretty sad that you can be so brilliant in one area. And as I said, wisdom is not just about those one or two areas. It's about the whole of life. He really lived quite an unwise life. Wisdom and insight, though, if you put them together, will help a person to be able to see well, to gain the knowledge needed, and to successfully navigate life. Now, that's what this book we're studying will do. And it'll do it through Proverbs, which is the title of the book. So what's a proverb? In 1903, the Wright brothers successfully flew the first aeroplane. You probably know the story. Now, when they did that, they already knew that it would take off. Why did they know it would take off? Because, you see, they had built a wind tunnel. And they had tested different wing designs. And they needed to do that because they wanted to test as well as they could in the wind tunnel before they risked their own necks and tried to fly. What Proverbs is, is like a wind tunnel. <laughs> in other words, uh, Proverbs are short sayings. So you will read the book of Proverbs. Lots of it is like kind of two-line sort of sayings or three-line or short sayings um, of wisdom, little nuggets of wisdom. But what Proverbs do is they present a little model of reality, like a wind tunnel, so that you can test it out in the context of a proverb and see if it's going to work in life. Do, do you know what I mean? So you can figure out as a proverb takes you into this virtual reality that it creates, you can see if when you put it in your life, whether it's going to fly or it's going to crash. That's what proverbs does. It's a, it's a model. It's a test of reality. It's like a wind tunnel for the Wright brothers. So um, 
have a look at the structure of this book. Um, you don't really need to take too much notice of this, but in case you're interested, first nine chapters is a long introduction, and that's where we're going to spend our time this week, as well as towards the end of these nine chapters next week. And then we're going to hit a collection of Solomon's Proverbs, and then the last section is going to be other Proverbs and other collections from other wise people. Okay? So that's the what. What is wisdom? Point number two, who needs wisdom. Now later on, don't turn to it in chapter 8. Wisdom, and often wisdom, we'll see this especially next week, wisdom is going to be made like a person. It's going to be personified is the uh, techie English word. And wisdom is going to call out and invite people to become wise, listen to her. And in chapter 8, verse 4, he's gonna, she's going to invite all people to share in wisdom, which means no matter who you are, Right? You need wisdom. And we saw that earlier. Whether you've got a decision coming up or whether life is just not making sense to you right now, you need wisdom. I need wisdom. And here's the thing. Even if you already are wise, and there are wise people or wiser people among us, for sure. Look at chapter 1, verse 5. We read this earlier. If you are wise, let the wise add to their learning. You can always keep growing in wisdom. So it's for everyone. But especially, I want to point out that wisdom is for a particular subset of people. And it's in chapter 1, verse 4, the verse before. Look at that. For giving prudence to those who are simple. Knowledge and discretion to the young. Okay, it's that key word, simple. It's used 17 times at least in the book of Proverbs. Simple doesn't mean you're mentally challenged. Okay, it does not mean that. Other translations will use the word naive or inexperienced, or sometimes gullible. The word itself means something like being open, but open in a negative sense. It means you're open to be swayed. It means you're open to be influenced too easily. It means you're open to too many options, but you don't have the wisdom or experience to choose well. That's what that word simple means. And so the result is the simple often will just jump in without thinking. Whatever option comes up, I feel it, I'm going to do it. Or, actually, often the simple will have too many options and procrastinate in indecision. I wonder if you're more A or B. All right? That's the simple. And the simple, because they're open, they're going to be swayed so easily by inspirational memes, such as just be happy, don't listen to critics, just be yourself. But they won't really think, actually... They're pretty shallow and potentially foolish advice. Do you know what I mean? Now, and the opposite of simple is prudent. Prudent, verse 4. By the way, a generation ago, they used to name their daughters prudence. It's like naming your daughter chastity. It's just like a, crazy, right? They're good things, but you don't name your kids that. Okay. Uh, the prudent person is thoughtful and makes good judgments and choices. That's the opposite of simple. Yeah? Okay, Proverbs is especially for this subset of people. It's especially for you if you are simple. And you'll see in verse 4, it's paralleled with the young. See, there, there is a reason why the young tend to be the simple. And so for a moment, I'm going to speak to you if you are born after 1980. The reason why I choose 1980 is because 1980 is the beginning of what's known as the millennial generation, Gen Y and Gen Z, and now my little kids, Generation Alpha, I think they're called. But particularly here, you're going to be Gen Y or Gen Z, okay? 
particularly it's going to be speaking to you if you're under the age of 40. You are known as the options generation. Have you heard that? Millennials are known as the options generation. You grew up with more choices than any other generation, but you, while you have more choices, you have very little wisdom about how to make good choices. You grew up with the internet, which means you have more options and more information than any other time, but you know what the internet's like, right? It doesn't discern for you, and you don't know how to discern. Social media, especially for the later Gen Y, you grew up knowing, and Gen Z grew up with it. They don't know any better. Well, you get lots of bite-sized information from everywhere, 24 hours, all the time, visual as well as audio, as well as... And the result is you have breadth, but no depth. You have light, but no heat. You have lots of passion, but no follow-through. You see, more than any other generations, the under-40s grew up with all these options. But you also grew up with broken homes. You also grew up isolated from traditions and families and good role models. You are the simple, generationally speaking. And by and large, you are failing at life. Look at the rates, increasing rates of depression, anxiety, and despair among the under 40s and now even the under 20s. So you've had more wealth, you've had more opportunities, you've had more entertainment, and yet you are less happy. Proverbs especially is for you because your generations typify what it means by the simple. And just because you're Christian doesn't make you exempt from this, by the way. Now, I am generalizing. Generations are always kind of fuzzy around the edges. Uh, if you're over 40, you can certainly be simple too, absolutely. You're not immune. Uh, a lot of people in my age and stage of life go through something called the midlife crisis. What midlife crises are actually is just a regression. You become simple and stupid. All right? So it doesn't mean you're immune. But by and large, it is generationally for the Gen Y and younger. Now, if you're older, you might be thinking, oh, great. I'm, a, I'm just over 40, 42. So, you know, it's not me. I can say you, right? Um, don't think that Proverbs is not for you. In fact, we will see very soon that your trouble, if you're over 40, is worse. Okay? You're in deeper trouble. But for now, Proverbs, especially most of you, I think, here are under 40. Right? This is for you. This is for you. You are the simple, generationally speaking. Okay. So that is the who. Number three, why? Why wisdom? Um, as I said, the first section of Proverbs, first nine chapters, is an extended introduction. In fact, it answers the question, why? So the best thing to do is go and read. If you have time this week, um, go and read the first nine chapters because it's going to come at it again and again of why wisdom is so valuable. But um, if you want a shortcut, here is um, why wisdom is so important. It's because wisdom promises nothing short of a full and rewarding life. And who doesn't want that? Look at, look at the chapter three. It says this on the screens. Blessed are those who find wisdom, those who gain understanding. For she is more profitable than silver and yields better returns than gold. She is more precious than rubies. Nothing you desire can compare with her. And look at this. Long life is in her right hand. In her left hand are riches and honor. Her ways are pleasant ways and all her paths are peace. She is a tree of life to those who take hold of her. Those who hold her fast will be blessed. The promise of wisdom is wonderful, isn't it? 
That's why wisdom is worth pursuing. Proverbs, however, doesn't just have promise, it has warnings. See, the opposite of wise living is foolish living. And what Proverbs says about foolishness and the warnings of foolishness is really, really worth taking note of. Because while wise living leads to successful life, foolishness is not neutral. It actually will lead you to misery. It'll lead you to death and ultimately lead you to God's judgment. You see, there are four different Hebrew words, the original again written in Hebrew, that talk about foolishness in the book of Proverbs. We, we often just use the one English word because we don't have that many English words for fool, but they're actually different words for fool. And so I want to show you these four. And really, they work as a sort of sliding scale. It gets worse and worse. So firstly is the unthinking fool. That's one word used for a fool in Proverbs. Look at chapter 12, verse 15. The way of fools, the unthinking fool, seems right to them, but the wise listen to advice. Right? The, the unthi- and it's used in lots more verses than that. That's just one sample. The unthinking fool is the self-confident person who often speaks and acts without thinking and consideration. There's a certain American president who likes to tweet, you might want to think about, as someone like that. Now, Christians can be like this, and Christians who are like this might come off as knowledgeable, might even be in leadership, but really, they don't really listen, they aren't humble, they aren't open to advice or rebuke. Okay, that's the unthinking fool, layer one. But you keep going and you become a stubborn fool, layer two. Look at the next one. 14 verse 16, the wise fear the Lord and shun evil, but this kind of fool, the stubborn fool, is hot-headed and yet feels secure. Right? The stubborn fool is like the mule that will not budge. Not only is proud, but actually stubborn and immovable. Not only won't listen, but will not change. Now, spiritually, the Bible has a word for that. Jesus calls them the hard-hearted. It's the person that will not repent, will not change. And here's where I said, while the young are prone to being simple, the old are in more danger. Because here's the thing, if you are over 40, the older, chances are Proverbs is speaking to you because you're more likely to have already become stubborn. While the young are still open and easily swayed, the older might already be settled into unthinking, stubborn foolishness. Do you know what I mean? The older you get, the prouder you are, the older you get, the less likely you want to change. So over 40s, Proverbs is speaking to you because you might be in more danger. You might have already gone down the path of foolishness. The next one, and it gets worse, doesn't it? The scoffing fool. This is actually... a Translated in English as mocker, is a separate word for that. So have a look there. How long will you who are simple love your simple ways? How long will mockers, and there's the word there, delight in mockery? And fools, that fool there is the second, the stubborn fool, hate knowledge. Right, the mocker or the scoffer actually goes to a step further, really, by opposing the right way, making fun of it, insulting those who do right. Um, spiritually, a scoffing fool has become the critic and the cynic. And you can be a critic or cynic openly, 
But more often than not, they're the sarcastic, passive-aggressive type people, yeah? And we've got to be really careful of this one. Because, again, I think it, it tends to come up when people are generally older, been through life a little bit more, and experience a lot of disappointment, frustration, feel jaded, burnt out. And what they're left with is this cynicism. Right? They criticize everything. They're sarcastic and passive-aggressive. And it may especially be about spiritual things or churches. And you've got to be careful if this is where you're heading down. Because the last stop, unfortunately, is terrible. It's the godless fool. Now, this word is only used, I think, two times maybe in Proverbs. But in the Psalms, it's used quite a lot. And one example is Psalm 14. This word for fool is the godless fool. says in his heart, look there, there is no God. They are corrupt. Their deeds are vile. There is no one who does good. You go all the way in foolishness, you're no longer a Christian at all. You are those, they're those who've abandoned the faith and have abandoned God. And so you see why wisdom is so important, right? Because foolishness is not just about not knowing stuff, not being smart enough, or being ignorant. Foolishness starts when the simple cho- choose to go down a slippery slide of foolishness. From unthinking to stubborn and it hardens to being the mocking fool and eventually becomes a godless fool. This is a slippery slide that ends in misery and destruction and judgment. So why wisdom? Because you want to avoid that. It's the promise as well as the warning. Okay, next question. Where is wisdom? Where do we find it? So important. Where do we find it? Well, it's found in three places. According to Proverbs, it's in, in the world. It's in the home. And ultimately, it's in God. Okay, firstly, the world. Um, Solomon, King Solomon, the wise king, he was a, a scientist, a botanist, a biologist before his time. He loved observing the natural world and collecting data and making observations. So wisdom is often uh, in relation to the natural world. So um, don't turn to it, but in chapter 6, verse 6, we're going to learn to work hard. He says to people, work hard because you observe the ants. Look how hard they work, Okay. In chapter 30, he doesn't just say, look at the ants. There's other animals you can learn from from the animal kingdom. We can learn from the natural world. Wisdom is in the world. It's how God ordered stuff. But wisdom is also in the world in that it's from other civilizations, other cultures, even outside of belief in God or the faith community. They also have lots of wisdom. It's it's, it's out there. So people have noticed that with, with Solomon's Proverbs here in the book of Proverbs, there's actually parallels, often borrowed bits from uh, civilizations who also have wisdom literature, like the Egyptians and Babylonians. Now, we don't know if it's come to them or them, they've gone to them. It doesn't really matter. The point is, Solomon's Proverbs, he didn't come up with all of them. He collected them. It's an anthology, if you like. He compiled them. And often he'd compile them from wisdom all over the place. And so the last third, the last section of Proverbs is really collections from other wise people. And so really, wisdom can be gained from the world. You can ask the question, well, As I observe the world, how is it ordered? What do I observe all around me? How are we made? How are things operating? There's wisdom in that. What is its purpose? A lot of science and applied science is about that, observing, right? Making theories and hypotheses and testing them out and then applying them. Wisdom is in the world. Secondly, wisdom is found in the home. And this is a really important thing, much more important than in the world. Proverbs chapters 1 to 9, that first section, often uses the father-son or the parent-child 
uh, relationship for wisdom and instruction and teaching of wisdom. So um, have a look with me, chapter 1, verse 8, just after the bit that uh, we read. The next verse is going to say, Listen, my son, to your father's instruction and do not forsake your mother's teaching. And he's going to go on about wisdom. The next chapter, chapter 2, verse 1, is going to open with, My son, if you accept my words. Go ahead, another chapter, chapter 3, verse 1, My son, do not forget my teaching. Yeah? And it does this a number of times. Father, son, parent, child, here is wisdom. I'm going to pass it on to you. Because wisdom is something that's passed on best in the context of close relationships, family, life experience, practical knowledge comes from older to younger, doesn't it? From parent to child. And so by extension, wisdom also comes down through generations in cultures and community. You can find wisdom there. And so here it is. If you want to be wise... A good place to start is from your family. Talk to your elders. Now, if you've come from a good home and parents, grandparents, you know, do pass on wisdom, fantastic. But a lot of us don't. A lot of us come from broken homes. But you know what? God has something better for you. It's called your spiritual family. Your spiritual home. Wise people will get advice and counsel from spiritual fathers, spiritual mothers, spiritual older brothers and sisters, Elders, pastors, and this is where it happens. Church community. Get to know those around you who are your spiritual family, especially if you haven't got the avenues in your biological family. And unfortunately, though, so many people jump into huge life decisions. They do it on their own. They they, they do all their thinking. They don't get advice. And then, once they made the decision, then they come and inform their pastors and leaders in church afterwards usually by text or email. And that's kind of foolish, isn't it? Because that's the error of the unthinking fool. I'm going to jump into a decision. I'm not going to listen to advice. I'm not going to consult before I make the decision. So if you're wise, when it comes to big life decisions, consider, consult, talk first. God has given you wisdom in the context of your spiritual family. So that's the second one, wisdom in the home. But ultimately, most of all, wisdom is found where? In God. Because nature, the world, even homes, communities can only give us partial, incomplete wisdom. One of the big reasons why it'll always be incomplete, nature, world, home, culture, community, generations, is because of this thing called sin. You see, we live on this side, on the other side of human rebellion against God. We live in a broken world. And brokenness of sin has gone into nature itself. The Bible says that the whole natural order has been frustrated because of sin. Our ability to observe and deduce wisdom from looking at nature, that is distorted. Our perceptions, our insight is distorted by sin. Just because you observe the natural world and do science doesn't always yield wisdom. That leap from science to ethics, or what is to what ought to be, is a very tricky leap. give you an example. Some people will say, biologically, evolutionary, we observe that lots of animals have lots of mates and like to spread their DNA with lots of other partners in their lifetime. Therefore, human beings should not be monogamous. Marriage is stupid because you're trying to stick with one. No, no, you should be like the animals, right? You men should try and mate with as many people as possible. They draw that conclusion from observing science, and yet that is really foolish and very disastrous, isn't it? You can't get everything from wisdom. 
just by observing the natural world. Sin has also corrupted families and cultures and whole communities. Some of you know this terribly firsthand, that what's been passed on to you, unfortunately, has not been wisdom but foolishness. Through generations, there are cultural stupidities, okay? There's so much I love about the Asian culture. There's so much that's terrible as well. The crippling parental pressure to succeed. I'm not talking about the, the good side of, you know, just getting kids to work a little bit harder and do their best. And No, I'm talking about the stuff that causes depression, anxiety, suicide, which is all over the Asian education system, homes. That's passed down through generations. Is that a good thing? No, it's not. Is that wise? No, it's not. It's foolish. It's corrupted because of sin. But most of all, sin has made the driver of wisdom and foolishness, which is our hearts, it's made our hearts biased. So that left to our own, we, we're like the shopping trolleys. You know the shopping trolleys that have the wonky wheels? It doesn't matter which way you turn, it's always going to... Yeah? We're like those. Our hearts, left to their own, has a bias away from God, away from wisdom. And we'll often take the good things that God has put in nature or even our homes and we'll make them substitute gods and lead us even further away from God. And so true wisdom can only be found when we in our world and our worldviews are remade by God, which leads to my last point, which is, right, if, if, if wisdom is ultimately found in God, then how do we get wisdom? I, I don't know if you know, um, if you like movies, I love movies, and one of the things I enjoy, we're talking about music today with Jason Ng, um, Movie soundtracks, the best movie soundtracks, you'll know isn't just accompanying music when things are exciting or sad, but actually movie soundtracks, the best ones have a theme, right? Theme that runs throughout, sometimes subtly, sometimes overtly. But for example, if I said to you, Harry Potter movies, can some of you already hear the theme in your head, yeah? And it's not just at the introduction to the movie and the end credits, it's throughout played in different ways as a sort of theme, punctuating various parts of the movies. What's the musical theme of the book of Proverbs? What's the thread that runs through the whole book? It's this one. And it's the answer to the question of how to get wisdom. The theme is the fear of the Lord. That's the theme. The fear of the Lord. Or for you techie guys, if wisdom is the software, the fear of the Lord is the operating system. I'm not even sure if that works as an analogy. I'm just going to leave it with you. Okay, John Walsh is going to have a chat to me later. I was like, that doesn't work. Um, okay, anyway, uh, stick to the movie soundtrack one. Okay, chapter 1, verse 7, we read it earlier. The fear of the Lord is the beginning and the foundation of knowledge. Um, chapter 9, verse 10 fleshes out even more. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. You see, that's, you got to get that. That's how you get wisdom. Now, what does it mean to fear God? Let's clarify that. Because it's not to be terrified of God because He's going to zap you if you don't do the right thing. That's not the fear we're talking about. You see, in the Bible, fear is not opposite to love. In fact, biblical fear is part of loving God. You cannot love God if you don't fear God. And if you truly fear God, you will also love Him. Why do you fear the God you love? It seems to us incompatible. It's because, you know what? God, unlike the other things you love, is not like you. You are loving God, the God who threw the stars into space, 
who holds the atoms of your body together by his very word, who is bigger than the galaxies and the universe. That's the God you love. Now, once you understand God is big, he's holy, he's perfect, you cannot control God. Yes, you love God, but what do you, you also fear God in that you revere him, in that you should be in awe of him, in that you should worship him. And fear, especially fear of God, especially looks like putting God first, making God your God. It looks like trusting in God. It's expressed in depending on God. Right? That's what fear of the Lord means. And especially when it comes to wisdom. You see, if you want to be wise, says Proverbs, look at chapter 3, verses 5 to 7. These are great verses. My kids learn it in Sunday school. They memorize it. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways submit to him, and he will make your path straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and shun evil. Remember the fool trusts in themselves. They think they have all the answers, unthinking or stubborn or mocking. Whereas the wise person is humble and obedient and leans on the Lord for everything, especially when it comes to life. And so, you know, the semi-literate old lady in China who barely has had any education beyond early primary, but who has memorized the scriptures, has way more wisdom than the church bishop who no longer believes that the Bible is the word of God because now they have a few postgraduate degrees and you don't believe the Bible is the word of God anymore. And they exist, lots of them. And yet the little old lady in China is far wiser because she trusts in the Lord with all her heart. She doesn't lean on her own understanding and wisdom. She acknowledges him in everything she does. And he makes her path straight. You see, true wisdom can only be found in a relationship of love and trust and obedience to God. And of course, that only happens through Jesus. And not just because Jesus' death on our behalf for our sins, which we're going to remember in a moment in the Lord's Supper, when he takes our sins in our place so that our sins can be paid for, wiped out. That's the way that we become friends with God. We can have a relationship with God. Yes, Jesus restores our relationship with God so we can find wisdom in God, but also because it's not just the forgiveness of sins, a relationship with God. It's also because Jesus syncs us up or re-syncs us up with how God made the world and how God made us. On this side of a broken world, Jesus is the blueprint. He shows us what life is supposed to be like, and he resyncs us up with how God intended it to be. Now, that is a much bigger, day, uh, bigger topic for another day, but just in the categories I talked about today, let me just show you pictures of that. You see, when Jesus comes, he comes as God the Creator. And so when he walks on earth, he is fully God. And so he, in his action, in his words, in his deeds, reveals God's original blueprint for humankind. In a broken world, he brings order. He restores bodies. He changes people. He loves on people. That's the picture that God intended for the world. Just a little bit. But also Jesus doesn't just come as fully God. He is also fully man. And so when you see Jesus living out his life, what is he applying in relation to his Father in heaven? 
the fear of the Lord. He lives out perfectly the life of leaning on God, not trusting in himself, but trusting in the Father. He is the model of perfect wisdom for a human being. And Jesus brings a new way of seeing the world, what we call a worldview. And especially when he dies on the cross and rises again, he shows that what the world out there thinks is wise is actually pretty foolish. Right? And actually what God thinks is wise may seem foolish to the world out there. Right? But what the world thinks is foolish is actually wisdom from God. And it's often expressed in paradox. Now, those of you who've been followers of Jesus for a while will know this. Jesus shows us this worldview that's so counterintuitive, but it's so true that actually to be high, you've got to become low. That to gain true life, you've got to be able to give your life away. That to gain perfect freedom, you need to obey the law of God. That if you want to know what true strength is, you've got to know how to be weak. You see, all these paradoxes, like those of you who are followers of Jesus, you live by them, right? You see them in the cross. It's wise, even though the world thinks it's foolish. But Jesus gives you that new view of the world. And ultimately, remember our hearts, the hearts that are like shopping trolleys, (laughs) that, that choose not to choose God and wisdom. Or Jesus comes to give you new hearts. With Jesus and being born again in relationship with Him, being given the Holy Spirit, He gives you new desires so that you might actually desire wisdom. He gives you a new power to choose wisdom. And so Jesus is where we get wisdom. Now, if you're not yet a follower of Jesus, He invites you today to come to Him, to have your sins forgiven to trust in Him, be in relationship with God, and to have your life remade. You might like all the good stuff that you see in Christians, but without coming into relationship with Jesus, that's all the trimmings, but the foundation you won't have unless you come into relationship with Jesus. And today you could do that. Okay, let me finish up. How do we find wisdom? We find it in the fear of the Lord and ultimately in Jesus. But here's a final how. And I want to kind of leave you with this because we're about to go into five other weeks of Proverbs. Here's the other how. The other how is hard work. Okay? Hard work. Um, verse 2 uses the word instruction. You might have heard it read out earlier. A different translation will use the word discipline. It's also translated as discipline. For gaining wisdom and instruction or wisdom and discipline. The word means correction. It means rebuke. It means learning from mistakes. So here's the thing. Wisdom comes through the hard work of seeing sin or foolishness, of confessing and repenting, of resolving to change, of forming new habits that will develop new character. And there is no shortcut to it, okay? Because here's the thing. Many of us will hear these sermons for the next few weeks. You'll leave church from these series where there'll be lots of practical things to change, blind spots to address, but you'll simply forget about it. Oh, that was nice, but you'll simply not do anything about it. And the Bible would say, if that's you, that would be really foolish. Because to be wise, you need to really pursue wisdom. You've got to really want it. The book of James in the New Testament is sort of the Proverbs of the New Testament. And look what God says in James 1. He says, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault. And it will be given to you. Here's a promise. You want wisdom? Ask for it. It'll be given to you. Great. But notice this. When you ask, you must believe and not doubt. Because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. 
That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. Now, in the language of Proverbs, the doubter double-minded is the simple. All right? The person who says, I want wisdom because who doesn't want wisdom, but I'm not really willing to commit to it. You say you want it, but you don't want to really do the hard work of gaining wisdom. That's being double-minded. That's asking, but doubting, you see? You say you want it, but you don't really act on it. It's so tempting. It will be so tempting week after week in this series to do that. Hear it? Oh, that sounds good. Maybe I should change, but I won't really. Well, don't be like that. Because if you are, then that's going to not lead to wisdom. It's going to lead to foolishness. Instead, the book of Proverbs calls us to embrace wisdom in the fear of the Lord. Look at this. And we'll close with this. The beginning of wisdom is this. Gain wisdom, though it costs all you have. Get understanding. Cherish her and she will exalt you. Embrace her and she will honor you. So pursue it with all your hearts, friends. It's worth it. I'm going to get the band up. I'm going to pray.